So like I said, we're continuing our juice series. We've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5 uh, throughout our summer. And it's been, a, it's been a long series. It's been so long, you'll notice that our fruit display has de- been decreasing every single week. Uh, which is a great illustration, just so you know, if the fruit is not attached to the tree, uh, it eventually becomes moldy and unedible, right? And so it just kind of got to the point, and we saw kids kind of coming up on stage after wanting to eat some of the fruit, and we said, that's probably a bad idea. Um, So today we don't have any fruit, but just imagine there's like this glorious display of fruit behind me. Uh, We've been talking about juice, the key ingredients to relationships, and thinking about what happens when you get squeezed, uh, and something I, I did forget uh, earlier uh, that I just want to go back to quick is on the grand opening next weekend, we want to challenge everybody uh, to invite someone. We want to invite you to invite Fran. Who is Fran? Well, this is Fran. I'm waiting for someone to invite me to church. Fran is waiting for someone to invite you to church, her to church. She's waiting. Who's the Fran in your life? So for many of you guys don't know who Fran is, but Fran was a part of our community for over 20 years. Uh, she was my executive assistant for a long time, currently moved to the island. Uh, but that's not the Fran we're talking about. Fran, we're, you know, we're talking about your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances, your neighbors. Everybody say friends, friends. relatives, acquaintances, neighbor. So who, I, I would like you to consider who is the Fran in your life that you can invite to grand opening next Next week, who is a friend that would darken the door of a church with you if you came with them uh, to be a part of uh, what God is doing here? So we want to invite you to, to invite Fran. Fran would appreciate it. So uh, you'll be seeing Fran throughout the year, uh, but we'll say bye to Fran for now. Back to juice. So uh, we're talking about juice. What happens in our lives when we get squeezed? Every one of us, we experience things in our lives, things that happen that we didn't expect, uh, things that go sideways when we, that went right when we were expecting them to go left, relationships that don't work out the way that we wanted, decisions that other people make that affect us, decisions that we make that affect us. What happens in your life when you get squeezed? What comes out of you? And I think most of us, if we're honest, would say, you know, when my life gets squeezed, sometimes I get embarrassed about what comes out. Sometimes what comes out isn't, doesn't look a whole, whole lot like Jesus. And the Bible talks about this. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Galatians and he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. So when the Spirit gives us, everybody say gives us. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Some of you guys have had great intentions. But you realize that as good as those intentions were, they didn't work out the way that you wanted. Because there's a conflict happening in you. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures... Idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And it's funny how we look at, you know, lists like that and we're like, oh, that one's okay. That one's really bad. Uh, That one's, you know, what's wrong with a little bit of, uh, let's see, what's wrong with a little bit of jealousy? 
What about selfish ambition? Selfish ambition has done me really, really well. I've gotten far in life because of my selfish ambition. But there's other ones, you know, sexual, yeah, that, you know, maybe that's, that one's worse. What Paul is saying is that these are all part of the result of our sinful nature. And that we shouldn't just be tolerant of some and intolerant of others. And I'm not, I'm not talking about judgment on other people. I'm talking about your expectations on yourself. What do you tolerate in your own life? So Paul continues, he says, let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to experience the full life that God has for them. Because as it says in John 10, 10, Jesus has come that we can experience life in all of its fullness. And so here's the key, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so we've taken a look at each one of these aspects of the fruit. And the first week we talked about how it's not multiple fruits, but they're all different flavors of the same fruit. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's singular. Self-control. How do you do with self-control? Let's, let's do a little bit of a Let's do a little bit of a survey here. Uh, how many of you struggle with this one? Your alarm in the morning. Anybody? The self-control to actually get up. How, how many times do you hit that snooze button? We, we got anybody in here that doesn't hit it one time? Like first time you're out of the bed. Anybody? We got a, we got a few. You hit it once. Who, who hits it once? Twice? Three times? Anybody hit it through? We got, a, we, got, we got somebody, hands up on the three times. Self-control. What about this one? Ice cream. How many of you have a really hard time saying no to ice cream? You know, you walk by a marble slab or a village ice cream and you just cannot help yourself. It's like this gravitational pull. You, you're inside there spending way too much on a one scoop of ice cream. What about this one? Online shopping. How many of you guys can actually stop yourself from shopping online? Can you imagine shopping somewhere in person anymore? What a foreign idea. Going into a crowded physical location only to find that they didn't have what you wanted. You now you can sleep in, eat ice cream in your pajamas and shop for whatever you want without leaving your own house. That's amazing. And while you're sitting at home shopping, you're bin, you can binge on Netflix. How many of you guys have a, you know, a, th that new episode comes out on Netflix and you just cannot help yourself? That's a, there's a self-control issue. What about shoes? Any of you guys got a shoe problem? Oh, Nate's, Nate's got a shoe problem. Can you, I know a bunch of people like really take a lot of pride in their shoe game. I just want to say thanks to Colton, our youth pastor, for letting me take a picture of his den at his house. Uh, this is, he's got a problem. Traffic jams. Anybody struggle with self-control on the road? Something doesn't go quite the way you want it to. Somebody cuts you off and you're like, oh, and then you realize that your six-year-old is behind you observing everything you say and do and you're like, okay, I got to... 
you know, what, I, what I've actually noticed, my, my oldest son is starting to sit in the front seat and he's yelling at vehicles and I'm like, why are you, you know, oh, it's like a reflection of myself. He's like, he's like road raging at 11 years old. And he's, and he's a stickler for the rules. So as soon as, you know, as soon as somebody breaks the rules on the road, he, you know, I started teaching him about the, le- the left lane versus the right lane, which I think was a bad idea. Because uh, whenever someone's slow in the left lane, he's starting to lose his mind. He's like, don't they know they're supposed to move over to the right? So self-control. I can resonate with this one. I, I'm a competitive individual. I've, I've, and I've shared about this in the, in the past. Uh, but, you know, when I was in Bible college as a freshman, uh, you know, I used to, you know, take a lot of, a lot of pride in my, in my basketball game. And there was a missionary that came to our college, and his name was Steve Clausen. I actually ran into him last year. Uh, currently lives in Abbotsford, but he was a missionary uh, and uh, just a beautiful man of God. And... Uh, he came through to our school, was a, an itinerant speaker at, at the college I was at, and he kind of put out a challenge to the student body, and he said, you know, if anybody can beat me in a game of one-on-one, I will donate $100 to the missions account here at the college. I was like, all right. Uh, and I was quick to say, I'll take you on one-on-one. And so, uh, so one evening that week when he was there, you know, the whole school kind of kind of gathered and, uh, you know, my competitive juices are gone. And, uh, you know, Steve played a, you know, high level of basketball back in the day. So he, he was a good player. Uh, but he was getting a little older. So uh, I, I, I thought that I would be able to take him. And I think we played to 15. And it was, it was back and forth. It was a good game. And he was, he was a lot bigger than I am, but I was a lot quicker than he was. So uh, we were kind of going at it. And I was leading, actually, the entire game. And I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like, I'm, uh, you know, your, your pride's kind of ballooning up in you. And, and you got the whole school watching you. And, and, uh, and I remember I was down, and it was just first to 15. And I, and I was up 14-13. And... Uh, and I took a jump shot to win the game, and I missed the shot. And there was this long rebound that went way out past the three-point line. And Steve went, and he chased down the, the basketball, and he just, he just popped the jumper from, like, way outside the three-point line. Uh, and he was at 13. And sorry, in one-on-one, threes are worth two, twos are worth one. Uh, I should have explained that. So this was worth two for the game winner. Steve hits it. And I grabbed that basketball, and I'm smiling, but I'm completely embarrassed right now. I grabbed that basketball, and I just hoofed it across the gym, uh, off the ceiling. And, uh, and then Steve went to shake my hand. You know, this beautiful missionary man went to, went to shake my hand, and I just like, I just walked past him like he wasn't there. Self-control. I, and I, and I see John hiding. So this is my friend John. John, give a wave. John, you were there, were you not? Yeah. John, uh, John, it took us about a year to become friends after that because John thought I was a complete jerk. <laughs> I've had issues with self-control. In fact, John's wife, Dana, and I, I think we've had a few arguments over board games uh, over the years too. Self-control. That's what Proverbs 25, 28 says. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. 
person without self-control is like a city without broken down walls. You know, we don't live kind of in cities like that anymore, but let's say it in a way that we can all understand. A person without self-control is like a house without doors or windows. The mosquitoes, the rain, the wind, the thief. You know, my house, my, my boys leave the garage door open all the time, and I, it drives me crazy because it leaves us vulnerable. And we got nice stuff in the garage. Like, you know, we got bikes, and we, you, know, you can get into the house through the garage. And so anybody who wanted could come into our garage. And I, the, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the morning and gone to work, and I looked out, and our garage door was open. A person without self-control is like leaving your garage door open. Someone could come, take what they want. You know, I mentioned John 10, 10 before. Jesus comes to give life, and it says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. A person without self-control gives opportunity for the thief, Satan, the devil, to come into our lives and wreak havoc, to destroy, to kill, to steal. I believe that self-control is, is foundational for living the life that God has called us to. If we want to live a life that is full of, that's displaying the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is part of it. And a necessary part of it. And so how do we control the things in our life that control us? Have you experienced that you've chosen some things, but sometimes the things that you choose start choosing you? You know what I mean? The things that you choose start choosing you. Things that you maybe had control of at the beginning, now you're actually starting to lose control of. How do we gain back control when we've lost it? See, the funny thing is that we think we're in control, but we're actually not. We aren't. And so the first step, I think, to gaining control in your life is actually to give up control. Can everybody say, give it up? Give up up control. You don't have control over your life anyways. We have way less control than than we think that we do. And have you chosen some things in your life that you thought you were in control of, but now they're actually controlling you? Is there addictions in your life? Maybe gambling, eating, not eating, pornography, work. Maybe you're a workaholic. You can't stop. Video games, which is an increasing addiction in our culture. Phone. How long can you go without your phone, checking your phone? What about anger? How... How, control, how in control are you of your own emotions? Where does it spill out? On your spouse, on your kids, on your coworkers? There's so many things that you may have let in and given the rein in your life. And they're telling you where to go and what to do. So the first step is actually realizing that you're not in control. And as long as you believe the lie that you are in control, you're going to be controlled by those things. You know, the title of the sermon is Pass the Remote Control. You know, I, you know, I don't know if, if you guys, you know, when, if you're sitting watching family with the, TV with your family, who controls the remote in your house? The kids? Mom? I mean, I, I give up the control. As soon as Lisa, my wife, sits down, I'm just like, don't want it. I don't want that responsibility. How quick are we to actually give up control? If someone pointed a gun at you, you'd put your hands up and do anything they told you to do. 
And I think that we've been held at gunpoint by lots of things in our lives, and we've just gone like this and say, tell me what to do, and we're being controlled. And so we're going to give up control. We're going to encourage you to give up control this morning. I saw the slide a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, and, and when, we're, when we're in worship, we, uh, we do what? We put up our hands, right? Which is, which, is, which is an act of just giving up control and surrendering control. Uh, anyways, I, I, th- I thought the slide was humorous that, uh, you know, preachers, I'll just take a look. I, I won't explain it. I, DJs tell you to put your hands up. Bank robbers tell you to put your hands up and pre- preachers tell you to put your hands up. Preachers and ba- bank robbers ask for your money. Uh, are you with me? So putting up her hands, even when we're worshiping, it's this, it's this response of God saying, I'm giving up control. I'm not going to buy into this lie or the temptation to actually think I'm in control of my life. So the key to self-control is to give up control. Can you say that with me? The key to self-control is to give up control. As it says in Scripture, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You will lose it. I think it's, it's ironic that we, we, we use that phrase when people lose self-control. He lost it. Eugene Peterson says it this way. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? How many of us have chosen things that we thought we really, really wanted, but in the process we've actually lost ourselves, we've lost control? Can we give it up? It's counterintuitive, but we need to learn to acknowledge that we don't have control and give up the effort to try and control and to learn how to surrender to God. So how do we do that? Number two, plan it out. Can everybody say plan it out? Plan it out. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity and hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I know it's overstated, but you, but you know how the saying goes, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I never hear anybody, I, I've never heard anybody tell me, you know, I, I got up this morning really hoping to screw up. I got up this morning really, like I'm planning to fail today. That's my goal. I don't think people get up in the morning and say that. So why do some of us, so many of us experience these things in our lives? I think often because we're, we don't have a plan and we just find ourselves somewhere we didn't want to be. Everybody wants nice abs, but are you willing to put in the crunches to get it, right? You need to have a plan if you know what the kind of person you want to be. So let's think about David, King David. We, we often know of David, he, he, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. He's kind of referred to in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. But David had some issues. Uh, and, and I think part of the reason I love David is because, uh, you know, there's, there's some amazing, beautiful things about David, but there's some very human things about him. And I, I think we can identify with a guy like David. But David, great king, man after God's own heart, but here's a guy that slept with another man's wife. Here's a guy that killed up 
or killed that man to cover up his crime. His sinful choices had a devastating effect even on his family. And he ended up losing one of his own sons in a battle that his son incited against David. David had a heart for God from a young boy. He didn't wake up one day thinking, I want my life to spiral out of control. I'm going to sleep with my friend's wife. I'm going to kill him. I want to screw up my family and my kids. David didn't wake up one day and think that. David didn't plan for that. In fact, if you go to the story, I think it's a fascinating story. In 2 Samuel, the beginning of this part of the story begins like this. In the spring of the year, read the next line with me, when kings normally go out to war. David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So this precedes any of the poor choices that David made. And if you continue to read, it says, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and he slept with her. And that woman's name was Bathsheba. I've always found that ironic. She baths. She baths. uh. But in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, this whole downward spiral for David started with one small little decision. One decision of laziness. And often small decisions bring us to a destination often before we're ready to make the decision whether or not that's the destination we want to be at. Some of you, are in, some of you in your life, you, you said, I never planned on being here. I, didn't want, I don't want to be here. I don't know how I got here. I'm sure if you re- rewound the tape far enough, you would see that there was probably some small decisions you made long before you were ready to make the decision whether or not you wanted to be where you were. Often... When we start losing control, it started way before the moment that we lost control. David stayed home when he shouldn't have. And you can see the process of how the story unfolds. He stayed home. When kings normally go to war, he didn't do that. He was lazy. And then it says he noticed the woman of unusual... So he looked. You know, know, at this point, he hasn't done anything wrong. But then he sent someone. And often there's there's this stage in... In our, as we're living, where we start to lie to ourselves. And you can kind of get in David's mind where he's, uh, he hasn't yet made a sinful decision. Right? I'm just going to send someone. I'm just going to find out what her name is. Right? Can you enter David's mind a little bit here? You know what I'm saying, right? Like, he stayed home from war. He probably had good reasons. He was tired. You know, I'm king. I need a break. He noticed a woman. And instead of looking once, he probably looked twice. He was curious about who she was. I just want to find out her name. I want to find out who she is. Send someone to find out her name. And then eventually it leads to this intention, intentional sinful decision to sleep with her, another man's wife. And that decision led to a whole bunch of other terrible decisions and it started to spiral out of control. A road to loss of control often starts with a lazy decision. Leaving your house door open. Being vulnerable, followed by a lie to yourself that you try and convince yourself, hey, this it's not that big of a deal. It's just this once. This isn't going to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to find out more. I'm trying to make an educated decision. It's their fault that I am where I am. It's not my fault. 
And so we start telling ourselves these self-lies. And then what we explored in our freedom results eventually in our slavery. And we see that the things that David chose started to choose him. He started to lose control. For some of you, gaining back self-control might start with something very simple. And you, you're focusing on a big thing in your life, but it might start with something simple like going to bed on time. You know, maybe if this passage of Scripture was written about you, it would say something like, at that time when everyone else in their family went to bed, Billy stayed up. Maybe that's how it starts. Maybe it's getting up earlier, which helps going to bed earlier. Maybe it's eating better. Maybe it's exercising. Maybe it's choosing, you know, something small that you've gotten lazy on that you, that you realize it's the beginning of a bad uh, cycle, a bad journey. So there are some things that we have control on in our life, these small things, and often these small things lead to the things that we don't have control of anymore. So can we be intentional about these small things? Can we make a plan? Can we live by a plan intentionally about the type of people we want to be? Number three, change the game. Everybody say change the game. So often we think in this me versus the thing. I don't know what your self-control issue is. You know, whether it's anger. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's an addiction. You know, maybe it's, you know, you, you habitually treat somebody in a poor way. Uh, Maybe there's just this habit that is actually having a devastating effect on you and your, your kids, your family. I don't know what your thing is. Me versus whatever. And this is often the way we, we think about it. You know, I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to beat this thing. And I think we need to change the game. We need to change the way that we look at it. Because what is the, what is Galatians 5 says? It, it says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. The What? The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Self-control. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces self-control in your life. We surrender life to God and we say, God, it's all yours. And he can actually produce self-control in our lives. And here, here, here's an incredible tactic of the enemy. You know, when we leave the garage doors open, we leave the door open, and we become vulnerable. Here's part of the way it works. He distracts us. By trying to keep us focused on the thing you actually can't control anymore. I'll use, I'll use one example in my own life. And I, I began this series with this example. And I talked about uh, my journey with pornography. One of, one of the tactics that actually kept me snared up in this problem was that it's all I could think about. It was just like me versus pornography. And Satan loved it that I would just like put so much emphasis and focus on this thing. As if like I got to clean this up. And it's me versus this thing and I'm going to fight this thing. I'm going to beat this thing. And it, it's like watching a car crash on the other side of the road and it, you're actually not in danger. And you can't do anything to change it. But focusing on it actually takes your eyes off the road and puts you in danger. And, and so the, Satan actually puts these things in our lives that we put our focus on it. And it, it actually, if you look at, uh, if you've listened to any type of teaching on addictions, you'll, you'll know that it, it, it's the cycle of 
self-medication and shame. And so Satan makes this thing a really, really big deal. And then you know you should live different. And so you're trying to fight it. But when you fail, it, it actually creates shame in you. And because of that shame, you actually go to the thing that's easy to medicate yourself with. And it creates an addictive cycle. And for some of you, it's not pornography. Some, for some of you, it's something else. And so we have to change the game because, uh, yes, there's sin in our life that's a big deal. But no, you actually can't beat it on your own. And the more you think you can and the more you try and fight it yourself, the more you actually create uh, shame in your life, the more you're actually tempted to live private life, to isolate yourself, and you're caught even deeper in an issue of control or self-control, and your life's spiraling out of control. So I want to encourage you to actually focus not on the thing you're trying to beat, but on Jesus, the victor. Jesus, the one who died and was resurrected for our sin, that actually empowers us through his Holy Spirit to overcome sin. And that's where the fruit of self-control is grown, not out of your own effort. And we've talked about that lots in this series. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is basically saying somebody's got to have your back. And so I think we change the game by not focusing on this, but actually focusing on Jesus. And that's why we've talked about abiding, journaling, spending time with God, allowing his spirit to actually transform us from the inside out. And not living in isolation. Now, Satan loves it when you try and fight it on your own. He loves it when you don't talk to anybody about anything going on in your life. David had a saving grace in his life and his name was Nathan. You know, David's life started spiraling out of control and there was a friend, there was a prophet friend that came to him and said, you know, you, you actually need to make some corrections. And he came alongside David. David needed that. I needed that. Recently I was reading about draft horses, and I, you know, I don't read about horses very often. Uh, but here, here's an interesting thing about draft horses, which are very large muscular animals that throughout history have been used for pulling great loads and moving very heavy objects. A single draft horse can pull up to 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. The strength involved in this is hard to imagine. So then we can speculate what would happen if we hooked up two draft horses to actually carry a load. You know, you would think, like I would think, that, you know, 8,000 plus 8,000 is 16,000 pounds. But two draft horses pulling together cannot pull twice as much as one. They can actually pull more than twice as much. They can... Two draft horses can pull 8,000 pounds alone. They can pull 24,000 pounds when they're together, three times as much. I think it's a great picture of what happens in community. So if you want to change the game with whatever you're going through, I would encourage you, stop focusing on that thing. Focus on abiding with Christ, surrendering that to him, right? Admitting I actually don't have control anymore. There's something in my life that I've lost control of and I'm going to stop trying to manage it, control it, and I'm going to admit it. I'm going to put my hands up and say, 
Jesus transforming from the inside out. And I'm going to start, stop living in isolation. I'm going to move from darkness to light. I'm going to bring other people into my story. And then I believe that self-control happens as a byproduct as Jesus transforms us through him and our community from the inside out. Because here's the reality is that freedom requires vulnerability. If you're striving for freedom, if you're trying to control the uncontrollable, it starts with actually acknowledging your weakness and becoming vulnerable. So start, start with making the right decisions with the little bit that you can control. So going back to the beginning of David's story, David shouldn't have stayed home. He shouldn't have made that lazy choice. What are some right decisions that you need to make that you can control that's going to actually lead you to be the type of person that God's calling you to be? So again, I don't know what your thing is. Maybe there's some, you know, sexual addictions or habits in your life that have actually gotten out of control. Maybe there's eating. We don't often talk about eating, but it's a big thing in our culture that... Uh, you know, all sorts of different eating uh, dynamics that people struggle with that they don't have control over. Maybe it's anger or rage, laziness, lying, gossiping. Maybe it's, you know, other addictions that I talked about like video gaming or gambling. If you allow the uncontrolled things in your life to stay uncontrolled, you could lose what you love most. And some of you have experienced that. You've, you've actually had your lack of self-control affect your marriage, your best friendships, your family. If we want to be healthy people and be a blessing to those around us, we actually need to start living in the spirit and experiencing the fruit of self-control. challenges, the most important things that we struggle with are often a secret. And if you're going to make changes, you have to get to the point where you're sick and tired of things staying the way they are. Often things got to get so uncomfortable for you that people, that for people that they, that it's at that point that they make a decision to change. Are you going to wait until something hits the fan in your life that you're going to make a decision to change? Or can you actually make that decision, that hard decision today preemptively before it gets worse. And so call me a preacher, call me a DJ, or call me a bank robber, but I'm going to invite you to put your hands up this morning. And, I, and I, I'm going to invite you to surrender what's going on in your life to Jesus. So um, I think it's important to have a bit of a response. If, there's, if you're in this room and you just want to maybe for the first time or maybe for the 20th time, you're just like, you know what, there's something in my life in the, that I need self-control on. And we're not going to... We're not going to guess at what that is. We, we just, we, we just want to give you the opportunity to respond to that between you and Jesus this morning. And, and if you have something that you're like, I need self-control in this. I need God to actually help me in an area of my life. I'm just going to invite you to stand because we want to pray together before uh, we end this morning. So just stand up if that's you. I got something in my life that I recognize as an issue. And I, I, I'm going to take a step of vulnerability. I'm not just going to live in darkness. I'm going to put it out there on the light. You know what? Like Satan hates this. He hates this. He's like, oh my goodness. They're getting vulnerable. 
know, the worst thing we can do is pretend like we got it all together and then we're all a bunch of people that have perfectly controlled lives. It's not true. Um, and so we're in this journey of surrendering to Jesus together, of walking together and finding greater freedom together. Um, so I'm just going to invite you, if there's someone standing beside you, around you, just lay a hand on them. It's just a sign of uh, just blessing, support. Uh, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And often in our own bodies, the body helps heal each other, right? And so we, we just want to bless each other and walk together. And so lay a hand on somebody who's standing beside you and allow me to pray. Jesus, I thank you that the cross was not the final word. Or that your resurrection actually proclaimed victory over death and everything in between. And we thank you that we can say, like it says in Romans 8, that there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. So we just proclaim that love and that grace that is never-ending and that is extended to every single individual in this room. And we recognize, God, there's things in our lives uh, that we will wish were different. There's things in our lives that we wish we could control, uh, but we can't. And Lord, you knew that. And so you just simply asked us to come and put our hands up and to surrender. And so God, we admit uh, that we don't have control. That there's things in our lives that we don't have control of and we need your spirit to transform us from the inside out. And so God, I pray for the addictions uh, that are represented in this room. That people in this room, that they would break free from those addictions in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for relationships that have been hurt fractured, maybe even beyond repair. And we, we look at them, we're like, I don't know how to actually change what's happened. God, we pray for your supernatural healing and reconciliation as far as it depends on the people in this room, Lord, that that would happen. Jesus, I thank you that we don't have to fight this battle alone. We thank you for your presence with us, your friendship with us, but we also thank you for the people around us uh, that can walk with us. And I pray courage for those folks that feel like they're walking alone, that you would give them the courage to be vulnerable and invite other people into their story so that they can experience your freedom. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.